Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Bryant. Yeah, there he goes. The Flash. Here I am. That's your new nickname, Flash, okay? I just moved. I just went and got this beverage and came back. You didn't even see me. <laughs> that is amazing. I didn't. Chuck is now the Flash. Charles W. The Flash Bryant. I'm the anti-Flash, actually. Uh, well, that's funny that you bring that up, because that would make you, buddy, Bizarro Flash. Yeah. Did you see this? Surely you saw this. Saw what? Bizarro something? Yeah. No. Man, that was good, Chuck. Really? Yeah. So you just teed me up for Perfect. um for my intro, and then I squandered it by complimenting you. But let me let me pick up again. Okay? Proceed. Uh, have you ever heard of a place called Hitre? No. H T R A E. No. Is that something spelled backwards? It is Earth spelled backwards. Okay. <laughs> and Hitre, um, first appears in the DC Comics canon in the 1960s. Um, it is what we know and love as Bizarro World. Yeah. It is cube-shaped. Mm-hmm. Um, its inhabitants include Bizarro Superman, Bizarro Lois Lane, and their kids, right? And then over time, DC added, whenever they wanted to, um, more Bizarro characters, um, like the Yellow Lantern, Bizarro Flash, who is you, uh, Wonder Zaro, which is... Wonder Woman, but bizarre. Is yellow on the opposite end of the spectrum is green? No. Here's I'm going to get to the problem with Is the cube with an opposite I'm of round? The, you stop. You're blowing my intro. Okay. Batzaro, who's uh-huh. the world's worst detective, which is the opposite of Batman, who is the world's greatest detective. He's not a detective. He got to start in the detective comics. Okay. DC detective comics? Mm. Uh, okay. So... <laughs> At any rate, the Bizarro World, which you also know from Seinfeld. Yeah, of course. Uh, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, apparently. That was a great Seinfeld episode. Yeah, it really was. Um, isn't it, It's based on the idea, the concept of antimatter. Yes. Okay, so the the idea that for every for every anything there is in this realm, in this, this state of matter that you and I occupy, there is somehow, somewhere out there, a mirror image of it. Yeah. The problem is with Bizarro Worlds, like you say, the mirror image of Earth is not a cube. <laughs> and uh, although Batman would be the world's worst detective in, in Bizarro World. Yeah. There's there's some holes in it, but again, this is DC Comics. Sure. Here. But the idea that it's based on is not entirely out of the realm of possibility. In fact, the idea that there is antimatter has been proven definitively by people way smarter than you or I. Yep. So let's talk about antimatter before we talk about the basis of this podcast or what it, what it, what it's really about, I guess you could say, uh, which is antimatter spacecraft. I have to say, I'm excited about this one. This is this goes in the, our um, G Wiz folder. <laughs> okay. All right, Josh. It should be a pretty quirky subject. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> How much do you want to hit me right now? No, it's not that. It's more just like pain. Okay. Uh, matter, Josh is was always typically defined as anything with mass that occupies volume. That's still true, but it's got sort of a different definition now because of antimatter. Yeah. Uh, atoms, 
just break it down. I don't, I don't want to go subatomic yet, but let's go to <laughs> atomic. All right. Uh, everyone knows an atom has a central nucleus mm-hmm. surrounded by a cloud of negatively charged electrons. The, the uh, humanist sign. Held there, the electrons, by a magnetic field. Mm-hmm. Uh, the nucleus is a mix of positively charged protons, neutral neutrons, and when these atoms get together and have a party, they form a molecule. Yes. Eventually, you get enough molecules together, you're going to have stuff. And matter. You have our podcast. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So, so that's matter, which kind of helps. Right. So antimatter is the exact same thing, but the opposite, right? All it is is um, for every particle that you just described... There is another particle that has the exact same mass, mm-hmm. but it has the opposite electrical charge. Yeah. So for uh, electrons, there are um, positrons, right. which are they're electrons with a positive charge. Which is a cool name. It is very cool. Um, protons got screwed. Yeah. Well, basically, yeah. Protons are um, what anti-protons. Yeah. It's kind of any positron. And just like with um, atoms, with uh, positively charged or regularly charged, how about this? We'll call it the straights, the normals. Okay. Uh, with the normals, you can build them into atoms and molecules and so on. Conceivably, you can build anti-atoms That's right. into anti-molecules, anti-whatever, anti-substances, anti-stuff, like you say. Yeah. Um, so all of this was theoretical. There was a guy named Paul A.M. Dirac. Smart dude. Who, he had the uh, audacity to revise Einstein's theory of relativity, E equals MC squared. Dirac said. That took some cojones. It did, because he did it in 1928. Yeah. Einstein's alive and well, and he's in full, you know, boxing shape. It's ready to go. Yeah, let's bring it. Um, and... Dirac revised uh, the equation into E equals plus or minus MC squared, and then he stuck his tongue out at Einstein. And Einstein said, well, if you want to get picky, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I thought every, I thought that was assumed. He said, which of us wears floor-length fur coats? And Dirac just hung his head in shame. We both just said a very poor Schwarzenegger almost, <laughs> which Einstein kind of was. Yeah, he was, the, he was the Schwarzenegger of math. So he had the cojones to revise that. He was dead on uh, because they actually proved this since that time. Like four years later. That antiparticles do, in fact, exist. Yeah. Have you heard of um, Carl Anderson? Well, just from this article. But, I mean, did you look into him at all? Uh, No. So he won a Nobel Prize for this. I did know that. Um, But he... He he found evidence of positrons, definitive yeah. evidence of positrons. Like a photograph, right? Yeah, there's like a famous photograph of it. And But he used a cloud chamber. And a cloud chamber is a very sophisticated piece of equipment. This guy built his own. But a cloud chamber is basically just like a cylinder with um, filled with gas that's saturated with water vapor. And then you shoot cosmic rays through it. And see what happens. And, well, the cosmic rays leave a trail in Uh the water vapor. You can measure the density of the water vapor and determine what kind of particle just passed through. Cool. It wasn't enough for Anderson to create his own um, gas chamber. Not gas chamber. (laughs) Cloud chamber. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Um, He he did that, too. (laughs) History has not rooted that one out yet, but we're going to think differently of him soon. Um, he created his own cloud chamber and put an electromagnet around it so he could direct these cosmic particles in a circle. And he noticed yeah. that when he did that, 
when he shot a cosmic ray through, something that had the same mass as an electron was creating an arc going in the opposite direction. He said, holy cow, that's a positron. He said, what is that? He said, hello, million bucks from the <laughs> Nobel Committee. Is that what he won? I think that's what you win. Back then? Yeah. Probably not. But it was like 20 million bucks compared to today. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, anti-atoms were discovered uh, by CERN, our buddies at CERN, that we've talked about like many, many times. I know. I forgot about them since they didn't end the world. Yeah, they created the first anti-atom and, uh, by, to the tune of nine anti-hydrogen atoms. And at first, this is in 1998, I'm sorry, before 1998, they, they lasted 40 nanoseconds. But they were there. Yeah. And they had a record of it. Yes. But then they're like, poof, gone. But still, quite an achievement. Um, antiprotons were discovered in 1955 at the Berkeley Bevatron Atom Smasher Particle Accelerator. Um, what CERN's doing uh, is something that's been around for a while, which is basically you can, we figured out, not we, meaning you and me, we have no idea. Um, but other people have figured out that you can, using magnets, vacuum tubes, um, and beams of light, mm-hmm. you can shoot particles at one another and smash them together. They're when called you s- atom smashers. Exactly. That's what. A, that's another name for a particle accelerator. And when you smash them together, like they do at CERN, because they get the the atoms going almost to the speed of light. Yeah. And then they smash them together, and when they do, um, all these particles are created. Very exotic ones that, like you said, the anti atoms lasted for uh, forty nanoseconds. Well, back then. And what they think is that this is this is what the Big Bang looked a lot like, right? Yeah. So um, they can collect them now. Yeah. Which is step one. It is step one toward building an antimatter yeah, engine. Yeah. Got to have them. But the 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 I guess the question is, well, let's talk a little bit about antimatter and what happens when antimatter comes in contact with regular matter. It's pretty awesome. What happens is they collide, and it becomes nothing but pure energy. It explodes. They both are annihilated. And it, it's 100% efficient, yeah. creating pure energy at the speed of light. It's the it's the only um, reaction, as far as we know, that is 100% efficient. Like you said, it's pretty awesome. Where the mass of both the the matter and the antimatter particles are transferred entirely to this explosion. Yeah, you get some subatomic leftover, but it's nothing like you know car exhaust. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's not even like uh, nuclear um, reactions. Like nuclear no. fusion, apparently only 3% of the mass really? of the atoms um, is transferred. It's not, 97% is lost as like heat and wow. light. Wow, that is not efficient. No. Light is created um, by this the um, particle or matter and antimatter interaction. But oh, yeah. I don't think heat is. It's more like the radiation that's created is... Where you get all your energy. There may be heat, though, actually, because I know that one of the first things you have to do is cool it down if they're storing it. Gotcha. Okay. It's just a guess. So um, the problem is is that this doesn't just happen when you smash our atoms together. This happens anytime an antimatter particle comes in contact with its, its normal Cousin. particle. Yeah. Um, they annihilate one another. So there's this thing, there's this aspect of the standard theory. Um, which includes gravity. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it doesn't include gravity. It's everything else but gravity. Okay. Electromagnetism, weak nuclear force, strong nuclear force, and gotcha. it doesn't include gravity, which is like the that's the holy grail, right? Sure. So the standard theory says at the beginning of creation, the Big Bang, 
there were an equal part of particles and antiparticles. The problem is, is within about two seconds, since antiparticles and, and antimatter and matter cancel each other out right. through these violent explosions, um, there should be nothing in the universe except light left over from that the first two seconds when all matter canceled itself out. Right. The fact that we're here proves that that can't be right. And that there's matter, but not antimatter. Right. So there's a couple of explanations for this. And one is that there is simply, there was, and and maybe still is or isn't, um, less antimatter than matter. Yeah. Right? So the idea is that over time, there was way more matter than we have now, but that canceled out all the antimatter, and there is none anymore. We right. can produce it now, but it doesn't exist naturally. Right. The second explanation is that it does exist, right? Right. It's just kind of sequestered off elsewhere in the universe. Yeah, and there's sort of an addendum to the first one that it's not necessarily that there was more matter than antimatter, but there is a slight asymmetry between them. Right. Um and they've actually proven that. That was the NA48 experiment that CERN did mm-hmm. and the KTEV experiment at Fermilab, and those are the two big daddies yeah. with this kind of research. Okay. And not, they, the, not the Berkeley Bevatron? <laughs> I don't know about them anymore. Um, but they directly measured this asymmetry and proved it. Like there is an asymmetry, and that could have been, just that little bit could have been enough that matter won out, essentially. Right, and when you're talking about asymmetry, it's almost like a coin toss, right, where when you toss, when you create a particle, right, um, say seven times out of ten, it creates a um, uh, an, an electron, and then the other three times it created a positron. Right. That's the asymmetry. Yeah. So there is evidence of that, but there's also evidence that there is a store of antimatter toward the center of the, the cosmos. I couldn't find much about that. They, they they think they discovered it in 1977, but mm-hmm. I haven't seen a lot of follow-up. Okay. So let's say it is there. But have they done follow-up? I don't know. Okay. But I have seen recent reference to that idea. Also, the year Star Wars came out. No coincidence. If there, if there, um, if there is a, a, a I guess a deposit of antimatter. Yeah. Then it is conceivable that there is an anti-world there. There's anti-stuff there. Wouldn't that mean there's no matter there though? Because it would be colliding, right? No. There's matter. It's just the opposite of what we have. Oh, there's more antimatter than matter. Yeah, because think gotcha. about it. Like uh, they, they at CERN they created anti-atoms. Yeah, yeah. So maybe there is no matter there. Sure. It's just antimatter, and it's everything there's mind. us, but it's the opposite of us. Bizarro. Josh and Chuck. Wow. So, you mean two guys who are really talented at their jobs? <laughs> right, exactly. Who have the adoration of people, not the scorn. Right. Um, so, okay, for the time being, until we find out if there really is a store of antimatter at the center of the cosmos and figure out how to go get it. And when they're open. We have, we have to create our own, yeah. which is what CERN's doing now. We can do it. But CERN is doing... They're, they're just not up to snuff. They're they're creating two to three picograms a year? Yeah, I've got a couple of realities for you here. Um, since the discovery of the antiproton in 1955, mm-hmm. the total amount from Lear, CERN, and Fermilab that they've created amounts to less than one millionth of a gram. Okay. And at the current rate, and it's picking up, the rate is, and that's what we're counting on here, but at the current rate, it would take 100... Hundreds of millions of years and over $1,000 trillion to produce one gram of antimatter. Wow. 
So they got to pick up the pace. Yeah. Uh, not only do they need to pick up the pace, if we um, are going to use antimatter as a propulsion device. The ultimate propulsion because device. Because like we said, I mean, this thing is thousands of times more, produces thousands of times more energy than oxygen or hydrogen combustion, which is what we use now to power rockets to outer space, interplanetary rockets like the Mars rover. Yeah. That was hydrogen oxygen combustion, right? This is thousands of times more po- more potent, more powerful than those engines. If we're going to use that, we need to figure out how to make these engines more efficient. I got stats on that too if you want. Let's hear. 1 kilogram of antimatter. A kilogram annihilating ordinary like colliding with ordinary matter can produce 10 billion times the amount of energy released with a kilogram of TNT. That's a and a single gram of antimatter, the one that, you know, is going to take hundreds of millions of years to produce, uh, would get you as much energy as uh, the fuel tanks of two dozen space shuttles. A single gram. Isn't that nuts? It is nuts. Uh, the, the problem is, is we're going to need tons of the stuff to make it to another star, which you know we're going to want to do. We'll be like, oh, yeah, Mars. Who cares? About 10 grams, they think, could get you to Mars in one month, whereas okay. right now it takes about 11 months to get there with regular fuel. Right, exactly. So finally, we have at our at our fingertips the way to get from one place to another very quickly throughout the universe Yeah. without having to take theoretical wormholes or use warp drive or anything that, that hasn't been proven. This is this is possible if we can figure out how to how to store it and how to harness it correctly. Yeah, create it, store it, use it. Use it, right? So there's three three big components to an antimatter, uh, matter-antimatter engine is what we should call it. Um, the magnetic storage rings, remember you can basically tell um, particles to do what you want and that's just travel around in a, cir- a circle by using electromagnets. Sure. So you need to store the antimatter that you create. Yeah. Um, until you're ready to use it. You need to be able to feed it efficiently. So basically you need like a, pro, a particle accelerator. And then you need the magnetic rocket nozzle thruster, <laughs> which which takes that energy and, and uses it efficiently to yeah, propel through a thruster. the spacecraft forward. right Or backward, I guess, if you want to go backward really fast. Very true. Um, there are some problems with it, right? Well... Yeah, notably the fact that they can't create very much of it right now. Yeah. Even though that's speeding up. Uh, they have, as of June of this year, I'm sorry, May of this year, mm-hmm. um, CERN has stored 309 anti-hydrogen atoms for 1,000 seconds, about 16 and a half minutes, and, which is huge. Yeah. And I think they said like four years ago it was like pff, nothing. So it's... It's not growing exponentially, but they're really gaining steam with storing it. And pretty soon, they hope to be able to store these anti-hydrogen atoms long enough to see how it reacts to gravity. Like, do these things fall up or down? Nice. Which would be pretty amazing. Especially if they fall up. Robert Hume would be very pleased. But that's still only 309 anti-hydrogen atoms. Yeah. Which is nothing. No, but you said four years ago, like, this is all, this is theoretical, you know, 70 years ago, four years ago, we were just starting out. So, yeah. I mean, I, I imagine we're going to have some sort of breakthrough. This is why we need a population boom. The more people there are, the more True. geniuses there are. 
they did think about they could storm in magnetic bottles, but because like charges repel, though, that's a problem. So you can't just say, let's load this thing full of positrons because they repel each other and it's going to start leaking or something. Gotcha. So they can't store a ton of it at a time. Huh. And uh, did you hear the Steve Howe guy? No. He's not Steve Howe from uh, Yes <laughs> or or Asia. I think he was in Asia, too. Wow, he was in Yes and Asia? That guy's like a prog rock god. And GTR, I think, too. Grand Theft? Terrible. No. There's a terrible Love band that. called GTR. G- what does it stand for? Guitar. Uh, it was like three incredible guitarists in one band, and they had one album and some cheesy lead singer. Huh. Anyway, different Steve Howe, but he has an idea for a fission-based antimatter sail. So like a 15-foot diameter sail coated of with uranium... And basically, he said the key is to store anti-hydrogen in the form of a frozen pellet that will evaporate slowly and create this reaction that hits the sail to propel it forward. It's like a time release. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Who knows if that's going to work. Um, a, another big problem is that antiprotons um, release high-energy gamma rays, which can penetrate you and your entire <laughs> family and dissolve your molecules back into atoms. Isn't that kind of the key, though, to the propulsion, or no? Yeah, the the, the gamma radiation. Rays? Okay. The problem is, is like, uh, unless we figure out how to protect the astronauts, they're going to be exposed to it too. Well, and my question too, which I didn't see anywhere in any of my research, was, can a human go that fast? That was my next question too. Remember Colonel John Paul Stapp from yeah. the Murphy's uh, Murphy's Law episode, <laughs> Boy, do I? and other things. <laughs> um, he survived up to forty six G's. That was the peak. But he also suffered red outs and um, lifelong trauma. Yeah. Um, apparently right now, if you're on a rocket and you're being shot up into space on a hydrogen-oxygen combustion rocket, you experience 4Gs, which is substantial, but it's certainly not life-threatening or anything like that. Right. But if this produces 10 times the amount of thrust, that's is that what 40 they say? Gs. This is my own like back oh, of the envelope calculation. Yeah, because remember you can get there ten times faster. So yeah, I was thinking yeah. maybe it produces ten times more thrust. Sure. Um it's still forty G's that you have to endure the whole time. Yeah. So For um, a that's a month of forty G's of the of just under the most any humans ever ever survived. So why are they even wasting their time with this? Because well, they could send like a robot or something? But the the thing is, is can a space shuttle even withstand that? Like the textiles that we you have, know, or is it gonna? We we have no idea. That's another whole aspect of this that's gonna need to be worked out. Right? Like maybe we need to be stored in some sort of liquid for a month. Who knows? That's why this one's in the G Wiz folder. I love it though. I do too. Pretty cool. So I guess the point is, is you can look for antimatter space spacecraft in the next couple of years. <laughs> next way too many go years. by. <laughs> That'll be cool. I can't wait to go see one of those launches. NASA will be over like that. Didn't they say that, like, possibly in the next few decades? Yeah. So they must be ramping it up here soon. Yeah. It's true. Good for them. Uh, If you want to know more about the promise of spaceflight, the dream of man and bird alike, um, you can type in antimatter spacecraft. Pretty cool stuff. Um, in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. That's right. And Star Trek fans, we know. We know. We know. Uh, I think I said search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, right? You did. Well, that brings up then listener mail. Josh, you're going to be pretty excited because yeah. uh, 
we get uh, periodic updates from our amazing fan, Sarah, the 11-year-old, who is now 14. Yes, we've watched her grow up before our very eyes. She's That's right. awesome. She acts now, I believe, and plays at school. Yeah. She's become a very cool person, in my opinion. All right. This is from Sarah, the amazing 14-year-old fan. <clears throat> Dear guys. Oh, God. Really? Another letter from Sarah? Well, that's not you. No. Boring. I did not expect this. John Hodgman. Yeah. Yeah, How are you, buddy? Hi, guys. This is me, John Hodgman. I'm surprised you didn't see me sitting here the entire podcast. Well, it was (laughs) weird. You literally materialized in front of our eyes. Yeah. Uh, Well, I was wearing my cloaking mechanism. Okay. Well well done. Wow. Yeah. You've been here the whole time? Yeah, yeah. What did you think? It was good. I was was satisfied. Fair to Midland? It long. It was a long. Was it? Yeah. And getting longer? Yeah. We yeah. don't know when to stop talking these days, John. Well, you know, it was an extremely interesting topic, but I feel like you guys went off into some weird <laughs> pop cultural rat holes and stopped talking about the topic for a while, and then you came back to it in a yeah. m- mostly satisfactory way. So <laughs> I would say, you know, right down the middle for you guys. Thank Absolutely. you. Thank you. Yeah, no, I just, uh, it's just this letter column thing. No. Yeah, just the the last few letters, you know, I just realized that uh, they don't have a lot of me in them. Okay, true. You know what I mean? They're like from other people. Yeah, right? yeah. And uh, that's not really what I want in a podcast. Right, sure. And, uh, uh, you know, so I just took the chopper down and I landed on the roof here at How Stuff Works Tower. Great. And uh, I thought I would just come by and and see you guys. And, well, all right, look, I just finished this new book. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Okay. Yeah, you know. There we go. You don't get the chopper out for just anything these days. Well, almost anything. Okay. But, but uh, <laughs> it was the easiest way to get uh, to Atlanta from uh, Sri Lanka, where I was Great. at my compound. Um, but uh, I have, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a deranged millionaire now. Yeah, um, we, we, we've heard that. And, uh, and I, I've written a, a new book. This is the last book in my compendium of complete world knowledge, and it's called That Is All. Yeah. But is it and, like uh, the last book or like the last crusade kind of confusing last book? Oh, I see what you're saying. No, this is the last one because not only is it called That Is All, mm-hmm. and I don't have anything else to write about, mm-hmm. but also, uh, as you know, in about um, 13 months or so, the world is going to end. Sure. Or at least the Mayan long count calendar ends yeah. and... And probably we'll, I mean, look, we don't really know what's going to happen. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that the world is going to end in fire and flame and famine and flood and all the other Fs. Yes. Leaving only John Cusack alive. Yeah. <laughs> That's the ancient Mayans who are saying that. Blame those guys. That's right. not me. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I am keeping John Cusack prisoner in my home just in case because it just seems like something's going to happen. Don't you see, think? I feel a lot better knowing that. Yeah. yeah, those minds will say anything. Because you just stick close to John Cusack, I think you're going to be okay. Yeah. That's, a, that's the lesson that I took from reading the uh, the Popol Vuh, the ancient mind text. <laughs> okay, good. Well, I mean, so, you're here. Yeah. Which is well, see, good. that's the thing because I because I'm I'm uh, you know I I used to be in all these ads and and on television all the time and well, you remember, the, the ads are over now because we sold all the computers I think and right. uh, are they are they done? Yeah, I think I'm. Uh, I mean, why else wouldn't we be doing the ad? They must have sold them all. Okay. So good work for us. But that sort of left me just this idle, deranged millionaire. Right. And so I wrote the book, and I arranged for a major publishing house to publish it. And uh, and I can just afford to take myself on book tour wherever I want and 
today I'm, I decided to come here. So you have a chopper now, if I may call it that. You can you can call it a chopper. It's more like a helicarrier. Okay. Yeah. What happened? Your Zeppelin? It's crashed. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> you're talking about my my speed Zeppelin? Yeah. <laughs> hubris? Yeah. That's the 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 H. The HZ hubris, right? Hodgman Zeppelin hubris yes. that I that I bought off of Emo Phillips a mm-hmm. few years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, not only did that crash, it crashed and burned. Was it something that, Iro- ironically given the name? Yeah, was it something that that had to do with Emo Phillips uptake, maintenance, caretaking of this Zeppelin? Or? No, no, no. It was so in you, perfect. You didn't sell you a lemon. It anything. was in perfect condition when I got it. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I just like you know when I when I'm having a Zeppelin party. It's not a Zeppelin party unless you have a fire breather. Someone should have warned me right. <laughs> that Zeppelins have this problem with fire. Right. Like, if this were a known problem, this were a known issue, as they say in the software developing game, I wish I had gotten that memo. Do right. you know what I mean? It's not a bug. It's or a at least in the, in the Zeppelin, the radiogram yeah. that, that I should have gotten about that. We should probably tell everybody this is not a video cast, so you know we have to often describe things that are going on. John looks great. Yeah. Sure. And he's holding in his hand a hardcover volume of his third book, the third in the trilogy. That is all. And it's handsome. And, John, we do want to mention in all earnest uh, here that the book is coming out November 1st. That is so. It is called That Is All. Yes, it is. By John Hodgman. Correct. Available, uh, where would you like people to buy it? Their local bookstore? Well, they should buy it wherever they would like to buy it. They should support their local bookstore, of course, if they like. But it is available for pre-order now. At this moment, even though it is not November 1st. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, Powell's. Great. All your major book-selling websites. Be smart. Buy this book. Because if you get the first two, got to have the third, or you're not going to know how everything ends. I don't want to say be smart. I think it's more like stop being a dum-dum. Okay. Fair enough. And buy my book. Fair enough. And uh, and if you would like to know what it sounds like, it sounds like this. I'm just going to... I think your audience will enjoy this. I'll just read... The entirety of the book. Good evening. I write to you now from my secret retreat in the internetless hills of rural Massachusetts, or else I am in my custom-built survival brownstone in Park Slope, Brooklyn, or else I am on the high seas cruising on the luxury passenger ship Hodgmanic. I'm sorry, I can't tell you where I am. For reasons of safety, my location must be kept secret, even from myself. But it is good to write to you again. So much has changed in my life since I wrote my first book, John. The areas of my expertise. If I may, it, what? Sorry, I love your book. Yeah, I've read your book. Oh, well, then you don't mind hearing it well, again. I, I would want to hear it again, but I don't know if we have the time to read it in its entirety because well, it's three hundred plus pages. Well, wait, 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 wait. This is a podcast, that would be right? A pretty, pretty good treat. Yeah. What are you saying? There's no rules. Yeah. Look, I, I know it's like you. It's not like you got another podcast coming on after this one. We want to sell some of these, though. You don't want to spoil it all, right? Oh, but everyone's bugging me for the audio book, and so I just figured this would be the easiest way. Really? Okay. It's a free podcast, though. Don't give it away. Interesting. All right. How would, uh, I mean, I'm, we're delighted to have you here, John. I'm delighted to be You're here. You're drawing pictures. Yeah. Read some words. I could talk, I could talk all day long. But we've beefed up security here recently. I noticed. And you just appeared. They waved me through. No, I don't understand how that happens these days. I, I got a ticket. Did you? A ticket to? A, t- a ticket to your podcast, the live podcast taping. We don't have tickets. Oh, yes, you, you do. I you do. Think... I got it through my credit card. I don't. Yeah, my credit card has all, all kinds of perks. Like, I'm not a sporting fellow, but, you know, if I wanted to go see a, a sports 
A thing? sports thing? Exhibition? Yeah. Uh-huh. Like a sports contest? Right. Do you know what I mean? Where guys throw things? And... I just call up my independent concierge at my credit card, and they get me a ticket. And you know where my ticket is? Where is that? Well, let's say I go to a New York Jets game. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. You know where my ticket is? Where? Nick Mangold's shoulders. <laughs> wow. <Yeah>. Wow. <laughs> He's a player on that team. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. He's in your book a lot, too. Yeah, he I get to watch it. in to the Ragnarok. He is He is the, well, I don't, maybe, look, can I stick around until uh, next time? Um, Absolutely. All right, yeah. maybe we can talk about the, the coming nerd jock convergence then. Okay. Okay. But right now, I look, I don't know if you guys mind a little plugging, but I'm doing some, you know me, I loathe advertising. Yeah. But I'm doing some work with, with this company, this uh, credit card company, and it's really amazing. Chuck, do you remember what page it's on? Uh, are you talking about the Diners Club? It's not just a Diners Club card, you understand. It's a special, it's the Diners Club POFH nine times diamond card. Because and you had the Amex Black and you said, forget that. Boring. You had the literally platinum card. Yeah. Which you put your gum on. Right. Because it's platinum. Sure. Because you can put the gum on it, get it off very easily. Cause, yeah. Because it's because of the nature of platinum. But now you have been upgraded to the nine times diamond Diners Club card. It's not. It's not even a card. It's not even doesn't even take well, the shape I, of a card. I know what it is, but I'd like you to explain it. It takes a shape. It's a it's a feather. It's a you you actually get this beautiful feather mm-hmm. in the mail, and you carry it around with you. Here, I have mine here. It's spun from gold. Is that right? Oh, it yeah. is. that is nice. Yeah, it's nice, right? Yeah. And then when you want to make a purchase, like you don't have to like hand over your card, right. And have the guy put it in the <laughs> thing. Do you know what I mean? Oh, the, yeah. I mean, here's the thing: you go into a store now, and you want to. You you want to buy something that's very expensive, and you want to treat the person like they're human garbage. Yeah. You used to be able to just toss in their card and then look away like you don't care. Now you have to swipe your own card. Like, I can't live like that. No. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I so that's why I have this uh, nine times diamond POFH card that isn't a card. It's a feather. And this is a beautiful golden feather, and I just carry it around with me. And the purchases are, like, automatic. So if I want to buy something with it, I don't have to give them a card or anything. I just take the feather out, and I just lightly touch their cheeks with it two times and then it belongs to me and you point out that some some men have even met their wives this way correct yeah exactly so because the thing about it is the thing about having the feather is not only is it beautiful and thus reflecting you as a deranged millionaire's love of beautiful things in the world (laughs) but it allows you to treat other people in the most humiliating way possible which is really all a deranged millionaire really wants Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so it has these amazing perks i told you about the uh I told you about the uh, the the watching a Jets game from the shoulders of Nick Mangold. Sure, right? the ticket to anything. The ticket to anything. Uh, obviously, you have a lot of travel services because deranged millionaires like me like to travel around quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So if you go to the airport, you have access to special lounges. Well, like what? Well, not like the Admirals Club, right? Or or you know, but like a really special lounge. Like all you have to do is, like you you wouldn't even know that it was even there. So I'm not it. even familiar with the Admirals Club. Oh, really? Yeah, well, that's where the Admirals go. Before f- flying the planes, I mean, okay. and they and they drink grog and they sing sea shanties, <laughs> and then they fly. Really? Okay. Uh, this is a this is super secret, like super exclusive lounge, and it's you just go up to you have to find a Chili's to go. Yeah, Chili's Express. The Chili's Express sure. or whatever it is. Well, which one? Those are two very 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 different things. The, the important thing is don't go to the seating area. Mm-hmm. Go to the um, the big refrigerator bank where they have all of the different uh, uh, tacos and quesadillas, like the even, pre-made ones, the pre-made stuff, okay. right? And then you just uh, you just gently brush your feather 
across uh, a particular quesadilla. I can't tell you which. <laughs> and then that slides back and is a secret door into the special lounge. Huh. Did you know that? I did. And they have leather chairs, a full honor bar, a Japanese soaking tub, and all of the Chili's Express food you can eat. Oh, wow. Yeah. But this time it tastes like actual food. Oh, okay. wow. <laughs> That's really good. It is a special club. Yeah. What else does this card get you, John? I can't. I could go on and on. There are just so many perks. Uh, if you are a fan of the theater. Who is it? Yeah. Um, and you don't like, you, it's, you have a hard time getting tickets to the Broadway theater, right? Right. Well, let's say you get tickets and the show's terrible. Like, now you're not going to go back. Right. But what if you could call your concierge and have them call Pulitzer Prize winning playwright David Lindsay Abair and make him write a new play to your specifications? <laughs> Maybe even starring a character based on you. Wow. Right? <laughs> and all of a sudden, that's in the Broadway theater. Wow. And not only do you get the best seats in the house to that particular show, you get to watch as the ushers kick out the people who were sitting in your seats before you. Wow. Yeah. That's gratifying. And are we talking about a good theater or a eh, theater? Oh, the best. Huh. Oh, the best. All, only theaters that are named for corporations. So okay. we're talking about the good ones. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. American Airlines Theater, mm-hmm. uh, Foxwoods Theater, um, Chili's Express Theater. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, that's Which where is in the round. If that's I'm not mistaken. yeah, it's in the round. Oh. That's where Book of Mormon is moving to. So okay, yeah. good. And uh, and what if you don't have someone to go with you? Well, you just call a concierge, and they'll set up someone to go with you. Uh, could be Lawrence O'Donnell from MSNBC's The Last Word. Mm-hmm. Uh, could be James Spader. He's he's huge right now. Could be Lonnie Anderson or any one of a number wow. of stable of celebrity pals. Wow. That will go with you to see the show based on your life. That David Lindsay Abair had to write for you. So, do these people sign up to be a pal, or are they kind of corralled into this by, usually the, there's, by the credit card company? Usually, there's this, like they've done something in their past that they would rather not gotcha. know, I or I they've racked up terrible debts, or or you know maybe they're just trying to plug the last word with Lawrence O'Donnell on MSNBC. Mm-hmm. Former yeah. deranged millionaires, some. Yeah, there might be people, but that won't ever happen to me. No. Of course not. <laughs> no, that'll never happen to me. What are you saying? I'm not concerned about that. Here's the best thing, and I'll leave it with this. After five years of membership in good standing, premium feather holders will be visited in their bedroom by an old man. <laughs> yeah. He'll wake up, and there'll be a dude. He'll have long white hair. Yeah. And he'll be wearing, like, a white suit and a white tie, and he won't be wearing any shoes. and he'll invite you to go with him and he'll give you uh he'll tell you to become naked and then he'll give you a robe to wear (laughs) but the robe is like a little too short (laughs) of course and then you go in a limousine and you go to a a a high-rise like a skyscraper in new york city that you never noticed before like was that always there? Yeah, it was always there. <laughs> you were just not allowed. You were not allowed to see it. Wow. It's, a, it's actually a ziggurat in the middle of Manhattan that you were not allowed to see, but now you can. And then you will go in, and uh, you will go in, and you'll see all the other uh, five-year golden feather holders there. They're all wearing golden robes. You probably know them from the Chili's Express Lounge or whatever. And then uh, the old man will encourage you to bathe in special waters and be anointed with special oils. 
and then you'll be told that you are among the very, very few to ever see the ziggurat and be given the ever the very rare opportunity to apply for the Diners Club Premium Excelsior POFD card, <laughs> which costs $2 million a year to join. Wow. And uh, it's in the it's not in the form of a feather. It's in the form of a, a talking milk snake that only you that you carry around on your fingers and on your forearm all the time. You ever see how like in old Marx Brothers movies or whatever how like the really rich people are walking around and their hands are sort of like out in the air as though they're holding a cocktail but there's nothing there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're holding an invisible milk snake. Wow. <laughs> they can talk to that. They can talk to and can talk to them, but they're the only ones who can see it. Wow. And the other cardholders as well. So just another four years for me, and I won't uh, I won't have to ever see you guys again. Do you, I was going to say, do you think you'll still drop by? Yeah, I'll drop by, but I'll keep my cloaking mechanism on uh, so okay. I don't have to interact with you. you know, I'll drop by for the next three weeks, maybe even. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd like to come back and talk to you more about what's, you know. Well, yeah, are you going to, are you leaving and coming back? Are you going to, can we no, have I'll your just, word that if you do leave, you'll actually have left, you won't be hanging around with the invisibility on? No, no, I had, uh, I had, I had them set up an office here at How Stuff Works as so, a, as a safe, as a safe room for me. And I'll just go over there and, uh. You're going to stay here? I'll just hang out. Yeah. And then I'll come, when you guys are doing it again, I'll, I'd love to come back and prevent you from reading more reader mail. Perfect. What is it? Is it Tuesday? Listener, so more we'll listener back, mail. We'll be back in here Thursday. Because we record and then publish immediately. Okay, great. All right. We'll send you an Outlook invite then. That would be terrific. Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. All right, let's do this. Yeah. At least one right. more time, maybe. So that's it? We'll do it one more time. Yeah. Okay. That's it for this show. All right, well, um, our apologies to Sarah, the amazing 14-year-old fan. Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, if you are an amazing fan, or how about this? If you have a question for Hodgman, we want to know it. That sounds great. You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can also tweet directly at Hodgman, but don't. Um, you can visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash stuff you should know. Or you can send us a good old fashioned email at stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?